we just know that there's a bond there and somehow through the dialogue through the imagery through everything we see it there and they need each other in the moment it almost feels like the way that cassian just like wraps his hands around brasso and he's just kind of like falling into him at that moment being like i'm so happy to see you i'm so sad about my mom you know how sad i am about it i mean brasso even says he loved marva seeing two grown men having an emotional vulnerable moment together that's something we don't really ever see in media and it's something that really stood out to me that i love everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey and I am once again joined by Scotty Holiday. You may have seen them on YouTube uh, reviewing all kinds of Star Wars stuff, including weekly reviews of Andor, or you might have heard them on pretty much all the Andor episodes that we here at Krypton to Alderaan have done. Our official, at this point, I think we can say official Andor correspondent, Scotty Holiday. Hi, Scotty. How you doing? Hello, I'm I'm happy to be back as the official Andor correspondent for Krypton to Alderaan. <laughs> I hope everyone who is listening has enjoyed me being here. And if they haven't, well, they didn't really have a choice anyway. So. <laughs> well, you, the, the important thing is that I've enjoyed you being here. And to that same point, it there's no more Andor. Don't remind me, Joey. It's too soon I, for that. What are we going to do? I, that's the most important question of this conversation. What do we do now? I'm going to insert some cricket sound effects, I think, because <laughs> no one knows what to do. Well, I mean, if you think about it, we've got Bad Batch coming in like a month, maybe. <laughs> Who knows right. when it's really coming out? It, it's not officially out until I see it on Disney Plus, but we got Mando coming supposedly in February. The Ahsoka series is supposedly coming out next year. So we've got plenty coming. I'm going to enjoy the calm before the storm that is Star Wars on Disney Plus 2023. I guess that's true. It brings up like whenever all this stuff gets announced, inevitably the question that always gets asked is, are we going to get burnt out? Is there too much Star Wars content? Which I'm always kind of like, if you don't want it, don't watch it. But it, <laughs> it feels like it's hitting a little bit differently now because we just got the greatest Star Wars content. <laughs> oh, yeah. And everybody is already comparing Andor versus everything else that's come out like before. And then, of course, I mean, it's inevitably going to be, well, how did the Bad Patch shape up with Star mm. Wars Andor, Disney Plus's greatest Star Wars thing yeah. since rogue one we're gonna see it all over the place so it's just gonna be the inverse but it's still gonna be like the this was so much better than everything before and after yeah yeah <laughs> i don't really like that way i mean i like there's a fine line there maybe like first of all uh the geeky waffle network put out a video about this about how you can't really compare and or to obi-wan kenobi specifically and i would say yeah it's kind of like apples and oranges. Yeah. Right. We're, we're expanding the definition of what Star Wars is with a show like this. And it's a complete it's almost a completely different genre. So it'd be like comparing Leon, the professional to Casablanca. Maybe there's more comparisons to be made with that than I think. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think I heard I cannot remember who it was to save my life. 
I want to say it was somebody on Pink Milk that compared it instead of like apples to oranges, it's apples and other apples where one's a Honeycrisp, one's a Granny Smith, one's yes. a Ruby or I don't know. I don't know apples like that, but they compared it to just different types of apples because it's all Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But everything's, you know, there's the taste of each one is a little bit different. And we have our preferences and there's some that we just choose not to eat because we don't care for them, but we're not going to bitch about it. So. <laughs> and then you got the rotten ones and you got the ones with worms in them. And you're right. Or <laughs> whoever said that on pink milk, don't be toxic with the comparisons. I think that that's I think that that's the moral of the story. All right. So. Last time you were here, we talked about the Narkina 5 arc of Andor, episodes 8, 9, and 10. And this time we are talking about episodes 11 and 12, the finale. So episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix, and episode 12, Rick's Road. Episode 11, there's a couple of things. It's so hard Tell me how you feel about this, Scotty. I feel like when you and I were planning this episode, it was very hard for me to dedicate time to the idea of talking about episode 11 because I'm I'm so excited to talk about episode 12, the finale, because it was so incredible. (laughs) I think it kind of goes like with our conversation before. There was no way the episode before the finale was going to be as good as the finale. But they're two different episodes. They serve two different purposes. Mm. And obviously we needed that lead up. That lead up, not lead da. Mm. (laughs) It turns out Lita is in a cult. You know what? Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we won't. But there are a couple of things, just a couple of things I wanted to quickly bring up about episode 11 before we got into episode 12. The main thing, the most heartbreaking thing, the beginning of the episode really hooking us just really like out of the gate pulling on the heartstrings is seeing what we learn to be the aftermath of Marva's death and specifically B2 and the idea that we're getting this we're getting that whole scene from B2's perspective was obviously incredibly sad especially so we see B2 talking or we see Brasso talking to B2 and Brasso saying we can clear out the house so you could say goodbye if you want to and you can be alone and b2 says i don't want to be alone i just want marva Mm -hmm. and that hurts yeah it was a lot it was a lot (laughs) (laughs) the crazy thing that i kind of like i couldn't decide whether i was like is b2 like a pet who just lost their owner or is b2 like a child who just lost their parent or just right. anybody who lost a loved one. I think it was crazy to me because it, it seemed like for the first time this was a droid who, I mean, droids have attachment to their person. You know what I mean? But this felt more of like, a I am your droid to I legitimately care about you and I am upset that you are no longer here and are never coming back. Yeah, that like loss and like raw emotion that we don't see from a droid. So it was really cool to me to see that. And uh, like you said, it it was tugging at the heartstrings. It made me so sad. Yeah, I think so much of it is so much more of... B2 is so much more of an anthropomorphization of a droid than we've seen besides C-3PO 
or like a protocol droid to my recollection. Like one of the only droids that speaks basic, but also has these emotional attachments. Like BB-8 has emotional attachments and we can see BB-8 getting sad when they learn that Poe crashed on Jakku or went down on Jakku and stuff like that. But there's something, there's so many more elements to the humanity of B2 Emo that we've been introduced to this whole time that I think makes that so much more, that scene so much more pronouncedly sad. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe it is the fact that B2 speaking basic and not just making beeps and boops. Right. Because of course we think, you know, oh, I bet B2's really sad. And then B2's like, I am very sad. The only time we see that, I'm going to say live action because it might come up in some of the animated stuff and I just can't recall a specific thing. But like, again, with C-3PO, who's one of the only droids that speaks basic, like when in A New Hope, when they're in the trash compactor and C-3PO is freaking out that his humans are going to die. It's all comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's never really a, a sad emotional part. I could talk about this and be too emo all day. I love that little droid. I think they did an incredible job with attaching us to this character. Made made the droid a character and then got us attached to it. Yeah, I mean, not to harp on the whole, oh, I wasn't expecting all this from Andor going into it, but I have to say with B2, I was like, well, this droid's not very exciting looking. Like, I'm not mm. drawn to this character, but... Once again, Andor just continues to blow away every expectation or lack thereof expectation I had for the series. And now I'm in love with B2 and I'm like, he better be in season two. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, he, and beyond. Yeah. It's like K2SO who? Yeah. <laughs> K2S who? I have seen speculation that B2's consciousness gets uploaded to the imperial security droid and that's where k2 comes from oh you're right i i have heard whispers of that we'll just have to wait and see and see what happens so let me rehash my anger for this (laughs) (laughs) episode 11 like you said we're just kind of thrown into the aftermath of marva's death and i was upset because marva has been built up so much in this season I've felt an emotional attachment to her as like a parent or a grandparent, you know, whatever it may be. It's somewhere in that same kind of vein in how she has always been there for Cassian since day one. Well, you know, since day one when they met. And just in general, Marvel was such a big part of Cassian's life. This show is all about Cassian. It's literally called Andor. And the fact that his mother dies off screen I was so upset. It was like, where's the big send off? Marva has earned the fanfare. She deserved to go out, even if it wasn't with, you know, a big hurrah, just an emotional scene. I wanted her and Cassian to have that reunion or at least her to hold on just a little bit longer till he could get back. I thought with her being such a fighter and a rebel, I was like, she's going to hold out until he comes back. So when the episode started and they, you know, were cleaning up her house, I was like, are you? fucking kidding me marva is already (laughs) dead she died between episode 10 and 11 what that this doesn't fit with my fantasy for this series yeah so i was very upset about that and i say i was angry i wasn't like angry but i was like i wish we would have been able to see that and i'm bummed we didn't really get those final moments with her yeah it's a lot like 
when, hmm, how to say this without making it too serious. It's kind of a lot like when someone passes away and, the, and you can't be there. Yeah. We, we weren't able to be there. We couldn't see it happen. Like we weren't there for Marva and neither was Cassian. Cassian couldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And so that's sad to think about. Something else that you just brought up that, that I hadn't thought about was the show was all about Cassian. It's literally called Andor. And now thinking back with everything we've seen, Cassian, Clem, you know, the flashbacks of Clem, Marva, B2, and the Andor family, and that being the precipice for this show, and eventually being one of the pillars of what Cassian will become as a rebel. And yes, Marva and Cassian have been together since they first met. I, I really want to say that I still believe that what she did was wrong, but everyone's grown to love everybody and it doesn't make this situation any less sad. <laughs> uh, I'll be interested to, to see how you feel about her death and how you felt about her death once we get into episode 12. Oh, you know, I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's jump. I know we're skipping a lot of stuff, but I'd love to jump ahead and talk about Saw and Luthen reuniting, having a conversation. Saw calls Luthen back to let him know that he's in for helping Krieger with the attack on the Spellhouse facility. And Luthen has to tell Saw that the ISB knows about their plan and, and that Luthen is sacrificing Krieger and all of, all of Krieger's men to basically keep the rebellion going. We talked last time about how Saw is already this broken shell and it, the idea of the way he is and his his mindset being reinforced at every step along the way, like you can see the paranoia in his face and in his mannerisms once he realizes that Luthen has people everywhere. Mm -hmm. I feel like we kind of go through all of the motions. Saw very verbally and visually, we can see him kind of taking in everything that Luthen said, like taking in what he said, like, hey, we're sacrificing 30 men plus Krieger. Like, that's just right. what we got to do. And then saw being like, oh, well, you've got people all over. And if you're willing to sacrifice them, who says you're not willing to do the same and just let me be killed? I felt like I was right there with saw. I'm like, oh, yeah. Where does that put me in relationship with you? Yeah. Where do we all stand? And that was the big thing when he first talked to Luthen was like Luthen kept trying to push the we need to come together saw. And now this is literally the complete opposite of, yeah, we're getting rid of this guy because that's just what's got to happen. Mm -hmm. It's just like we're trying to come together, but, you know, this group is still expendable. It's like, how do you make that decision? And I think that's what we see saw literally going through the motions of being like, Who's to say I'm not expendable next? Right. And almost a step further of Luthen wouldn't let Saw be taken alive because Saw has seen his face, their friends, where yes. Krieger, he's only been in the room with Krieger a handful of times. And but Krieger didn't even know that he was there. He doesn't know who Luthen is. But Saw and Luthen have a relationship. So Luthen would have to make sure that Saw wasn't in danger of getting captured. And Luthen would be the one to pull the trigger before the Empire. Right, right. Ugh. I think we do end up seeing a little bit more remorse 
And Luthen even says, I thought I was doing the right thing, but now I'm starting to question it or something like that. And like every time Saw, Saw says 30 men, Luthen says plus Krieger. So he's definitely, it seems like he's definitely reflecting back on it and definitely. maybe having some like qualms with the decision that he's made to, to send these men in to a massacre. Yeah. I mean, just like he says in there, he's like, well, I was sure about it before, but I don't know about now. Right. It's like he's rethinking this as, and not to compare this to being in therapy, but like sometimes when I'm saying things to my therapist, I don't even need her to respond because I'm like, oh, God, now I understand why I did that. Or like, oh, God, was is that what I was really thinking? And we see Luthen. It's kind of the same thing where Saw's questioning Luthen's judgment. And as Luthen's telling him, he's like, oh, wait, maybe this is not the best way to go about this, but I'm already committed to it. Yeah. Leaving that scene, I think we need to talk a little bit about how cool Luthen's ship is. Oh, yeah. It comes with all all the bells and whistles. All the bells and whistles. I please sell the Lego set before Christmas. With the lasers. Yeah, yeah. With the Darth Maul dual lightsaber blade lasers. <laughs> anyway, so as Luthen is leaving, gets a call from Clea. They talk in code about finding Andor. It's pretty cool. And then he gets tractor beamed by this Imperial ship. And we see all the bells and whistles that the Fondor has, which I thought was so cool. The, the way that it anticipates the tractor beam or maps out the tractor beam and has like the things that pop out of the back that destroy the satellite dish to destroy the tractor beam. It's probably I think it's the coolest ship we've seen in Star Wars in a while. Like, is it cooler than the Razor Crest? Or yes. yeah, right? Yeah, it, it's cooler <laughs> than the Razor Crest, even in universe. Anytime Luthen pulls out one of those tricks, whoever it's against, or even I think Cassianus is like, I didn't know a, oh, I've never seen a Hallcraft do that. And it, oh, it's yeah. got all these little tricks there that I feel like are aftermarket <laughs> that either Luthen's installed or somebody's installed. But it's it's so corny to say, but it, it's the ship that keeps on giving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it You know, you see it do one thing. He's got his whole closet in there to get all dolled up for Coruscant. He's got lasers that shoot out the side of the ship. He can destroy a tractor beam. It's like, and on top of that, as I keep pointing out, it has a built-in Alexa mm. or built-in Google Assistant, whichever is your favorite. Yep. And it can do anything, pretty much anything that Luthen asks and get him out of any situation. Yeah. It's the ship that keeps on shipping and has a closet, a walk-in closet. How about that? Imagine the refresher. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> imagine it it's a full it's a full refresher not some bullshit three quarters refresher yeah listen i just renovated a house <laughs> do you think he has to do you think he can keep it do you think now he's gonna have to get rid of it because the empire like has a log of the ship well he got that that code from alderaan right so i think that masks him enough I mean, the ship hides all its fancy tricks, so I think he can get away with it. Maybe that's something we're going to see him have to deal with in season two. They've got his voice. Many people have pointed out they, they could have his voice on recording now to help identify him. And they know what his ship looks like. So Cyril says, I heard his voice. I'd recognize it. So if Cyril hears that recording, 
but be able to be like that was axis the craziest part about it though is as we come to find out in the finale axis is right there the whole time and they don't they don't even know it how did how are they gonna say oh the ship we stopped maybe it's that axis the people on that ship don't even know about axis they don't know about cassian andor so I, I think it's just with the Empire being so big and thinking so little of anybody underneath them, it could possibly just fly right under the radar. Very true. Fly right under the tractor beam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's keep it with Star Wars terminology, all right? <laughs> Refresher, tractor beam, shit. Shit. You know what? Let's all go back to Ferrix, along with everybody else, you and me. We're going back to Ferrix for episode 12, the finale, Rick's Road. I'm taking Rick's Road straight into town, all the way. However, I do want to start off-world with Mon and Perrin. I just want to talk about this scene because I loved it so much, and we're seeing, like, some espionage tactics get worked in here. Mon and Perrin are leaving a party, and she's already in the car, and he comes out. Mon tells their driver, Chloris, that they want privacy, and she starts to she starts to imply that that Perrin has been gambling again, you know, insinuating that he has a gambling problem and goes after him like, you can't do that here. If you're going to gamble, go to Canto Bite and really getting upset. And we know that Chloris then is listening to their conversation. And I have a theory about this and i but i want to hear what you think beforehand but it was just so cool to see that that's where mon mothma is at she knows the empire is spying on her she said they have spies everywhere she knows that they're listening and so she's trying to trick them into thinking that that's where their money went she knows that they're looking at chandrillan accounts so they put they're putting all these pieces together and she's trying to, sleight of hand, get the Empire to look in Perrin's direction for it. Yeah, even even when Cloris reports to Lieutenant Blevin, Blevin makes the comment of, oh, this makes sense. She's been making a lot of weird, you know, banking moves lately. Right. So they're, they're, they're feeding right into it. But if you really wanted to hear what I thought happened, which was not right, um, I was so off. When I watched the episode again with my best friend, she was like, oh, I love how Mon's, you know, playing this on Perrin, making them think that, you know, getting the Empire off her back and blaming it on Perrin's gambling that he probably isn't doing it all. And I was like, oh, well, that, that's not what I got out of that scene. You know, I'm the one who's reviewing Andor on YouTube. She's just, you know, the casual <laughs> audience watching. So I was like, oh, well. I thought that Perrin was gambling and somebody told Mon and she is upset because this is going to make the Empire look more into her banking because he's going to be doing (laughs) stuff that she's not thinking to cover up and it's going to take away her money to give to the rebellion. Mm. So that that's where my mind was, which was completely wrong. And I have been enlightened by you and by my best friend and when i talked to the Wayseekers about this so i'm just owning it i was wrong and i feel dumb but i now know what she was doing and i love her for it because it's so smart it's so smart to be like yeah that's my shitbag husband with his gambling addiction and 
it's just another piece of her plan. She's like, well, if the stuff with Davos Golden doesn't work out or I can't get a loan to cover this up, well, then I'll just blame it on my husband's gambling problem. And it's, it's she's so clever for doing that. That's very funny. But you know what? I think I think it's a testament to Mon Mothma's acting. <laughs> she's she's hamming it up in that scene. She's got teary eyes. She's making you believe and she's making Cloris believe that Perrin is really at fault here. Yeah. Which I love. Unfortunately, I, love I guess in that scene, I am Perrin. I didn't mm. want to leave the party. I wanted to keep drinking and having a good time. And my friend or significant other was like, come on, bitch, we got to go. And then I'm like, <laughs> so I'm drunk and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not gambling. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So she fooled me, too. So good mm. on Genevieve O'Reilly and good on Mon Mothma. Yep. It's Genevieve O'Reilly playing Mon Mothma, playing this version of Mon Mothma. It's so cool to see. Like, she brought it up in an early episode, too. Like, the Mon Mothma that everyone knows is a mask. But it seems like, from like my perspective, that there's so many layers to that kind of acting. And we, we started peeling the layers back when we took off that horrible blanket, that white mm. sheet outfit. Let, her, let yeah. her hair down a little bit, said, screw the pixie cut. As I said <laughs> from the beginning... Yesified Mon Mothma, and she's here to stay and she's here to slay. Yep. Yep. Here to stay and here to slay our meaty Mon Mothma. This has been your meaty Mon Mothma hour with Joey and Scotty. One last point about this is that I I did love seeing Mon do this. It does feel it feels like she's starting to do to have to do things that she doesn't want to do or that she doesn't like. We know that she doesn't like sacrificing her morals or ethics for the rebellion and two points one with lita and one with perrin of like having to come to do things that she doesn't necessarily want to do which the the whole scene with perrin i was thinking this is cool this is really a really good idea but it feel it doesn't feel like mon mothma that we've gotten to know over the past 11 episodes so i'm wondering if it's all part of the plan with davo and tay like, it seems way too skeevy to be Mon Mothma, is what I'm trying to say. But it yeah. seems much more like a Devo Skulden plan. And we already know that he knows Perrin, so he could <laughs> know, like, Perrin's vices and stuff. So if they're trying to hide money and they say, well, to, but the cherry on top is that we're going to, if the Empire does find this and it does look suspicious, we can point them towards your husband. You know, I... I think that is a very good point to bring up because I didn't even think of that, that this could be all a part of the plan because it is a bit out of character for her throughout this whole series, regardless of how Perrin or Lita treats her. She never wants to put them in the crossfire of her dealings. But this and as we see later on in the episode, she does just that. So I feel like it, it either could be a part of that plan. But the way that I took it. Is. After all this stuff in the Senate, after all this beating down, she recognized that she can't do anything. She recognized that the way that she is trying to fight is not working. What she is trying to do and the way she's trying to go about making this change, it's not going to happen. So I feel like she's been kind of broken down to this point where she has to do these things that she's uncomfortable with because what she was doing before wasn't working. And now she's actually having to go more on the offensive. Yeah, that's definitely the root 
to get us to where it has to go, right? I was just hoping so much that with Luthen and with Saw and with all with that type of rebellion and with her confronting Luthen about, you know, not wanting to do certain things because it will heat the, hurt the people of the galaxy that she wouldn't get that beaten down. But I guess it's like you're saying, probably the reality of the situation and the way that it all works. I mean, she even says in episode 11 to Vel, she's she has a drink in her hand because she's so stressed. And throughout the series, she was never really drinking. Yeah. Like she in one of the episodes, she's walking around with a drink and then handed it off to one of the assistants. So when I saw her having a drink, her hair all pushed back and whatnot, I was like, oh, she is going through it. And she even says to Vel, <laughs> I'm in so much trouble, Vel. Yeah. I don't think she likes what she's doing, but I feel like she feels she has no other choice but to make these moves, at least until this banking situation is done. We gotta talk about Nemec's manifesto. <laughs> I'm so happy it came back. And I'm like, honestly, my prediction was that it was going to be the last scene of the season. It would just like we'd see Cassian get away and we'd see him open up Nemec's manifesto. I've I've never been more happy to be wrong. <laughs> and I loved seeing it here with Cassian actually listening to it, which I thought was in Nemec's voice. Yeah. Did you did you think it was going to be something audible? Because I definitely thought it was going to be in writing. I had no idea. And I, I can't tell. Do you know if it's both? Like, does he actually have a book and some kind of audio device? This is Star Wars, so I'm sure he speaks it and it Nemec used speech to text to write his manifesto. That's so futuristic in Star Wars, don't you think? Speech to text. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you have Alexa assistance on your starship, then yeah. Yeah. I was very surprised to hear his voice again, and it did make me feel good. And, you know, the whole the whole thing, I mean, the scene starts off with the words, there will be times when the struggle seems impossible. I know this already. And, you know, he kind of starts talking about how things are really bleak. And while that part is being read, we're seeing scenes of Bix cowering on the ground in the hotel where she's being kept prisoner. So on top of, you know, oh my gosh, it's Nemec's manifesto and it's Nemec reading it. And he's, you know, putting on a beautiful vocal rendition of it, I will say. Mm -hmm. Just just the emotion and conviction and the way he read it. And then seeing Bix there, you know, being alone and things seeming impossible. I was just like, oh, they're really getting me right now with this scene. So I loved it. And then, like you said, seeing Cassian actually sitting there listening to it, actively listening to it at that, because I feel like it was kind of not in his darkest hour. But, you know, as he's getting ready to do this crazy first or second suicide mission of his life, mm. he's going to Nemec's manifesto to get him through it. And on top of that, if you really want to pull it back to this, Nemec was getting him through the sleepless night he was having before everything mm. went down on Ferrix. Shit. And, and we all know on Aldani when Nemec was like, I don't know how you sleep. I couldn't sleep at all last night. Oh, you're so right. And then he's getting that like kind of solace and reassurance from not only Nemec, but Nemec's manifesto about fighting against 
you know, that oppression of the empire. Oh, you're so right. I did not get that. Again, just incredible writing that, that someone actually sits down and writes this. The, and the feeling behind the words, especially like we talked about last time, living in the time that we live and everything happening in our real world, hearing those words. And I loved seeing it cut with different people experiencing different things in the actual show, like you said, Bix. I also thought it was significant that Cassian was listening to it out loud. I, I certainly expected him to be reading it, but I think there's a significance to him listening to it. We know he can read. They actually made a point of it early in the season. Like, was someone on Aldani asks him if he can read, and he says, yeah, and he reads, like, the plans on oh how to... Oh my gosh, and they did it again on Narkina 5. Kino Loy says, can you read, and then he shows him the tablet. Yeah, so we know, <laughs> we know that Cassian can read, and so, but he's listening to this. He's listening to it in Nemec's voice. He needs that... He, he needs more than the words. He needs Nemec's presence. He needs Nemec's passion. And, and he, knows, he knows how Nemec felt. And he knows that Nemec felt those words. It was a whole question on, on the Aldani arc of what is Cassian fighting for? And a question of what is Nemec fighting for? And now we know. And so the incredible significance of, of having that in Nemec's voice reading it to Cassian I think is to put it in Star Wars terms the spark that lights the fire I mean it's the last episode of this season we've got 12 more episodes and then we have Rogue One we know where Cassian goes and we know how important the rebellion is to him at that point so I, I really think this is a linchpin of that and I I mean I loved hearing Nemec again but it was just the incredible significance of Cassian having that audio device. For me, with Andor in comparison to the implications of we've seen Rogue One, like you said, we know where Cassian ends up and now we're getting to watch him get there. I don't know if this is true, if it's because it's recent or if it's just, you know, it really is just that. I feel like this is going to have so much more of an impact on how I look at Cassian as a character compared to other prequel series or other series where we've explored a character earlier in the timeline and then, you know, we see them in one of the larger movies. So now when I see Cassian in Rogue One, I'm going to think back to all this stuff. I'm going to think back to all these relationships he had in the timeline of things, all these little small moments that he had with these other characters and how they shaped him into who he became in Rogue One to become so selfless because we know how he started. And it wasn't selfless. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I think that that's something Star Wars does really well. The Clone Wars did this for me. The Clone Wars elevates the prequels so much more for me, especially episode three. Yeah, I don't I think that's one that I don't even think about because it's they're just all so ingrained to me. And like mm. growing up with the prequels, I obviously like love them regardless. But also, when the Clone Wars came out, it just made me love it even more. So that's one I yeah. don't even think about. So I love you bringing that up. I just love this idea of filling in the gaps between the trilogies or within the trilogies to make it one actual cohesive saga. And in doing so, elevating all the other content that, that we've gotten. Mm -hmm. Speaking of loving Cassian more and more, 
Let's talk about Brasso and Cassian's reuniting in the sewer. <laughs> I I don't know how they got me to be so feel so happy about this happening, but they did. Like I was it was just such a such a feeling of joy seeing the two of them finally get back together. And and somehow they've instilled in me that there is this bond between them, this incredible friendship between the two. And we've barely even seen them on screen with each other, which is ridiculous. But the whole sequence of Cassian blaming himself for Marva's death, not being able to be there, and then Brasso relaying Marva's final words, you can be an unstoppable force for good, and that she loves him more than anything he could ever do wrong. Ugh, incredible. <laughs> incredible stuff what just an amazing reunion i loved seeing it so it's so funny that you bring up this relationship between cassian and brasso and how we really haven't seen a lot of it there hasn't been much context on screen that we've seen through it and while i was watching it watching them hug it out like i couldn't put my finger on if it was like a oh he's like an older brother to cassian or he's like a father figure to him or he's like a best friend to him i couldn't figure out what it was either and it's literally that it's just we know this bond that they have. We don't need to know what it is. We just know that there's a bond there. And somehow through the dialogue, through the imagery, through everything, we see it there. And even just the way that they hug each other, it really feels like the two of them together are just they need each other in the moment. It almost feels like. And something I also wanted to bring up with that, too, is that we never get to see men on screen hugging it out, having an emotional, vulnerable moment. I mean, sure, they can say that they're upset or something, but the way that Cassian just like wraps his hands around Brasso and he's just kind of like falling into him at that moment, being like, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so sad about my mom. You know how sad I am about it. I mean, Brasso even says he loved he loved Marva and he was there taking care of her when Cassian wasn't there. He doesn't hold that against him. It was just so lovely to see that relationship and then, as I said, just seeing two grown men having an emotional, vulnerable moment together, because that's something we don't really ever see in media. And it's something that really stood out to me that I loved seeing as well. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even considered any of that, but we never, ever see it in media. I mean, media is almost exclusively this incredibly toxically masculine thing. I talk about a lot the responsibility of pop culture, and we get a lot of this from pop culture from a very young age, but also within our society. The idea of like guys not being able to be friends like that, it's obviously a very toxic sentiment mm -hmm. that's just throughout pop culture. So being able to see that on screen for at least the little bit of time we get to see it, like two guys can have this relationship, can hug, can be emotional around each other, can, you know, listen to one talk about their mom's death, can relay this information to the other about the mom loving this, her son. All of that, the body language and the verbal language. I, I, I didn't even consider the importance of that scene for something like that. I mean, we we even see it at the beginning with with Pegla and Cassian. Granted, it's not as intense of a moment because there's not whole there's not the whole speech, obviously, Marva's final words to Cassian. But 
as I put it when we talked about it earlier, that male on male affection and mm. just seeing them embrace one another. And like I said before, just being there for one another, you never get to see that. There's no tough love or, you know, come on, Cassie and get it together. You don't have time for this. Brasso allows Cassian to be sad and Brasso allows himself to be upset about it. I'm sure he was feeling stuff just repeating those words to Cassian, even though they weren't his own words. I probably, I mean, I got emotional during the moment. I probably would have started crying if I was the one there telling Cassian. Yeah, it's very emotional. I mean, this is just something we need more of in pop culture. The idea that guys can be this for each other, that it is okay to show emotion, that we can hug that all of this is okay, that people can be friends like this. Let this be like a stepping point for pop culture at this point. Hopefully it shows people out there. It goes against the grain of what we've seen all these years and starts to let people know that that's okay. I just appreciate you talking about it too and recognizing it because, yeah, the queer person can talk about it, you know, as much as I want to, but it's not going to have as much of an impact of somebody who's not a part of the queer community who's just an ally or straight and cis and, you know, whatever outside of that. Also being able to recognize it and be like, yeah, this is OK. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we need to talk more about it. And maybe it falls into another political uh, element of this show that we need to talk more about that hopefully this show sparks more conversations of. You and I have talked a lot about the incredible writing of this show and the incredible speeches. Nothing prepared me for Marva's speech. Nothing. A lot like Nemec's manifesto, it's just incredible to me that someone wrote this. Mm-hmm. That someone actually like thought up these words and put them down and that it was delivered in such a way that it, it inspired the people of Ferrix and it inspired me. It has been a long time since a movie or a show has made me feel so passionate or righteous. You know, you ever see a movie and you leave the theater and you're like, I'm going to I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to kick some ass. I'm ready to go be Batman. You know, (laughs) it has been a long time since a movie or show has done that for me. And this did that for me. Yeah. And I loved it. It's Mm. so good. It's just so good. But I also want to know how you felt after watching this about what you said about last episode, how you felt when she died off screen. So all that frustration that I had of not seeing Marva's death and just seeing the aftermath was totally redeemed with this episode. This was literally the send off that I wanted for her. I wanted this grand moment. I knew she had something to say. I was just like, how are you not going to give this moment to Marva before she goes and leaves us? And this moment was everything and more than I wanted for her final send off. And it was so true to the character. Mm -hmm. And like you've said, the words that she was speaking, they spoke to the people of Ferrix and we obviously saw how that ended up. But it was universal. It spoke to me. It spoke to you. I was ready to, you know, fight the government, fight the fascists. (laughs) Like I I was I was ready to go after I have a little cry because there was a lot of emotions in this episode. Then I was ready to fight. (laughs) And it was. It was just so crazy. The one line that I loved from the speech after she kept saying, you know, we've been sleeping all this time. My favorite line, too, was the empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. Mm. It's never more alive than when we sleep. And then, you know, she follows it, like you said, with the and if I could do it again, I'd be up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. I was just like, 
yes, Marva. Like I'm get, I'm not gonna lie. I just got a chill just saying it out loud. Me too. Hundred. I'm not <laughs> not gonna lie. Me just too. Thinking of that moment and something that I saw that I have to ask you about is fight the empire versus fuck the empire. Oh, see, so, I have not seen anything about this. So there is some question online where some people, you know, were watching Marva and they were like, it looked like she fucked the empire, but that's not obviously what was said. They say fight the empire. So, you know, the internet does what it does. And there were people who pulled up articles from Tony Gilroy talking about how Disney let, you know, him and his team do everything they wanted for the series. They didn't have any issues about anything. They weren't like, you can't do this. You can't do that. They said anything they wanted to do, but there was one thing that they would not allow and changed for the finale. Hmm. So people are speculating that she was going to say, fuck the empire. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Do you you subscribe to that idea? I think it makes sense that 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 might be what Gilroy and the team were talking about. (laughs) But I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I really like those last words of fight the empire. I don't know how I would have felt if she had said fuck the empire. And I don't in the alternate universe where that happened. I'm sure I'm very annoyed at all of the people who have latched onto it and make fun of it and make memes out of it and joke about it. And they can't give us shit and fuck in the same season of the same show. And bastard. And bastard. That's like Marva's go-to. <laughs> so I don't know. How do you feel? Do you think that would have like changed it for you or felt more powerful? I think it would have changed it a lot, but not in a better way. Mm. I think fight the empire while fuck the empire sounds right up Marva's alley. I could see that woman saying fuck the empire all the time. But fight the empire you know, fuck, it's a cuss word. It's obscene. You know, people hear that and, you know, oh, no. But while it has that to it, fight the empire is that's what was needed in that moment. That's what she was telling the people of Ferrix to do. And yeah. in doing so, she wanted to fight the empire and she was telling them to fight the empire. So I think fight the empire just it had so much more weight to it. So if that is the change that Disney made, Disney did good on that one. First good decision they've made in a long time. Oh, people are going to get mad if, if <laughs> Disney was the one that chose that. Can you imagine the discourse? I just mm. be like, oh, well, you want to complain about Disney Star Wars? Well, remember when Marvel almost said, fuck the Empire? Yeah, <laughs> this is a very funny thing that people have latched on to. Yeah, I, I do think that her telling them to fight the Empire is the, the more powerful of the statements. In an alternate reality, like you said, there's there's a finale where there's a piece of Star Wars media where the word fuck is said. But yep. we're not in that reality. And honestly, yeah, fight the Empire as much weight as fuck can carry. Fuck carries a lot on its own. But those three words of fight the Empire at the end of that speech carried so much more than one fuck could carry it all. Yeah, there were no fucks left to carry. No. So the speech was great and all, but it also gave Cassian a chance to be there, to see her in her, like, like you were saying, it 
it felt so wrong that she died off screen, but now Cassian got a chance to see her one last time. And I want to ask you about this scene because it really had, it really affected me. And in fact, during the Pink Milk live stream, I said it was my favorite moment. And I want to know what you think. So when Cassian goes to rescue Bix and he sneaks in through the sewers, which I'm pretty sure is what Marvel was clearing out in an earlier episode to make sure that the rebellion could use them. So that came back and I loved that. But he gets to Bix because all the Imperials are outside dealing with the mob and Bix says Marva was just here and Cassian said, wasn't she great? And that's the scene. And what I said in Pink Milk was that I've really focused in on these little scenes throughout the series, like these little but extremely impactful scenes. And that was the one in this episode. But it was so, I mean, that's the part that really got me choked up. I loved that scene a lot. Just in general with that scene too, it it stuck out a lot to me just because of how, you know, Bix, everything that she's been through, all the scenes we see her in previously in the episode, I think she's looked the worst in this episode than she has in any of the episodes prior. Uh, And this woman is gorgeous. So, I mean, they made her look real rough. Yes. And, you know, you feel so bad for her. And then throughout the episode, we see her staring out the window. She can't be a part of anything that's going on. It's probably like the only thing that's reminding her of, you know, the reality of her life, with everything that's going on from her torture inside her brain. One of the scenes that stuck out to me a lot was where, you know, the band's going down the street and she starts humming along to the music and you see like a couple tears run down her cheek. So seeing all of that and how she was just living through what's going on outside the window. So then when she was like, Marva was here, that cut for me too. I was just like, oh my God, not only was Marva inspiring everybody on the outside to fight the empire, but she was probably just inspiring Bix in that moment too, that things were going to be okay in the end. I mean, it it probably served not an entirely different purpose, but it probably just gave her hope of getting out of Imperial imprisonment. So to her, it wasn't even like a, it's time to fight. It's just, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it out of this. Yeah. So I love that moment too. And the fact that, you know, throughout the whole thing, Cassian's being so selfless and going to rescue Bix instead of just trying to make sure he makes it out. Okay. And he doesn't even take a moment to, you know, really watch his mother's final moments. And he can even say to Bix, like, wasn't she great? Because, you know, he was listening. I loved Marva's speech and I loved what it meant to the different people who were hearing it at different places in the episode. And this was a great little moment. Like you mentioned that it's a little bit of a blink and you'll miss it. But the series has been pulling power hits in those little moments, just like you said. At the end of Marva's speech, Captain Tigo, the the guy on Ferrix who just wants to be prefect, uh, knocks B2 over, and that incites the mob, most notably Brasso, who kicks him in the chest and then hits him with Marva's brick, which there has never been a more cathartic scene than that. I mean, Tony Gilroy said there was no fan service in this series, but I think that was a moment of fan service. I'm pretty well serviced. (laughs) Yeah. Just incredible. And so that starts this kind of chain of events of these Imperial officers getting knocked down and having to scramble for their lives. Most notably next being Deidre Miro, 
gets hit in the head with a rock. And then the people of Barracks are very quick to be on her and trying to drag her away. And there's something there about the the power that the Empire thinks that it has as a whole, while having very weak footing in the people that are running it on the ground. And it was great to see them get knocked down, and it's great to see the Empire get hurt that way, because you get to see the chinks in the armor, you get to see the, the, the flaws, and the flaws being the people that are so confident in their power that they don't realize that they don't actually have power until it's showed to them with the back of a brick to the <laughs> face. And I gotta say, unfortunately, I really wanted to see... I mean, I know I said it last time, I don't advocate violence, but at this point, she tortured Bix. She, we've really seen her be a horrible human being. And I kind of wanted the people of Ferrix to maybe have a little bit of justice. I, I, shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't call it justice, but... Honestly, I think we can bring it back to Nemec's lines in his manifesto, where he says, the imperial need for control is so desperate because it's so unnatural. Mm. Tyranny requires effort, it breaks, it leaks, authority is brittle, and oppression is the mask of fear. Mm. Once they're knocked down, all that fear comes forward. They don't have that mask anymore. I mean, even before anything happens between the Empire and the people of Ferrix, when the funeral starts early, Captain Tigo literally says, I want everything out here. Show a force immediately. It, they're all about they've got to show this big bad presence, but when they're knocked down and taken out of the empire being this all powerful, mighty, you know, establishment, they crumble. I mean, we literally watch Captain Tigo crawl on the ground back behind Imperial lines to safety. We see Dedra try to do the same thing after she gets hit in the head. You know, she loses her blaster and she is just crawling on the ground just trying to get back to that blaster because she knows she is nothing without that power that she sees behind you know i'm an isb supervisor here is my blaster like she has nothing behind all of that mm -hmm. it's like if you take off take off her little imperial uniform put her in civilian clothes she she's a person at the end of the day captain tigo is a person at the end of the day the empire is an establishment these people just keep it going or keep the propaganda to the people in that oppression and that fear. So when you take all that away, they're, they're nothing without it. What they stand for is just that, an, an establishment, uh, a thought. Mm -hmm. What you, the empire is this whole thought of this oppressive group that's going to keep everybody from individuality and they're going to do everything that the empire says. But at the end of the day, they're all just people too. And they crumble like people without that kind of imperial shield so i loved seeing that because it like i said it just reiterates what nemec says in his manifesto i didn't even consider that it was mirroring what nemec what we had heard nemec say in his manifesto but i do i think it also points back to some earlier conversations that you and i had about deidre had started as this kind of underdog story but we couldn't there was a strangeness to feeling like it was an underdog story because we can't because rooting for her meant rooting for the empire, whereas like rooting for the more toxic elements of the empire meant that she is kept on the outside, which means that the empire is less successful. And so 
that comes up again in this episode with the Empire, the ISB going after Krieger. There's a specific scene where she's talking with Partagaz on FaceTime and <laughs> she says, I just wish I was part of the conversation. Right. And he says this wasn't a dialogue. The whole point of this was to get the taste of Aldani out of the emperor's mouth. So again, she's being kept on the sidelines. She says, not not all of them are good to us dead. Someone needs to be in the room saying that. And so she's being kept on the sidelines again, where if she was actually in the room, it would mean a more tactical approach, a more successfully tactical approach from the Empire. <laughs> and so what do you think about all this? Because you've you've come the longest way here. I'm not rooting for her again, but <laughs> the fact that we're seeing them just overlook her opinion once again, I'm like, are they going to put us on this roller coaster again into season two? Like she got built up. She gained favor with Partagas. She got jurisdiction over Ferrix. And that was a big thing. And then now we see her. She's had jurisdiction over Spellhouse since the beginning of the series. But being the supervisor with jurisdiction over Spellhouse and they still didn't include her in their attack, you know, against Krieger. They just killed all his men and they didn't even allow her to be a part of the conversation. I'm like, they're putting her in this kind of underdog situation again. And I, I just think it's so crazy. I'm not ready to deal with this again mm. <laughs> because I can't like her anymore. And I, I don't like you said, we see what she's done to Bix. We see how she tortured Salman Pak, the shop owner. And it's something interesting to see that she's being put in this position again with these Imperials where they're just overlooking what she wants to do. And I have to wonder again if it's this whole, you know, she's a woman and they're just a bunch of men and they think they're better than her and that her opinion doesn't matter or doesn't make as much sense. When in the end, Partagas tells her, you know, you want to make this better? Find Axis. Like, you right. want to do your job? Go and find Axis. But by killing all these people at Spellhouse, they have nobody to get more information from. So they just made their job harder, all just to, you know, repeat what we said earlier, just to show this force, show their power. Yeah, with absolutely no tactical mindset, absolutely no thought on winning the war instead of this one little battle, just because they're afraid of the emperor. You know, they, they need to get the taste of Aldani out of the emperor's mouth. So that that right there removes any tactical decision making from the entire process. And yeah, she would be there to advocate for the other side of that. And she's not. And yeah, Partagaz shot himself in the foot. But I guess it's good she's not there because we don't yeah. want them to win. <laughs> little little do they know, Axis is right there on Ferex. Yeah. And like you just said, too, Luthen's fighting a war. The Empire doesn't see this for what it is. They see this as little little pieces of insurrection and pockets of fermenting as stupid Sergeant Mosk points out in like the first arc of the series. Yep. They don't see it as anything more than that, but the rebels are getting ready for war. Yep. We're seeing that in all these little pockets and that's what Marva does with that speech on Ferrix. Yep. She ignites the fight. She is the spark. So I want to talk about the very end because I think it really shows 
Cassian's full development, a complete 180 from where he was when we met him at the beginning of this show. And not a lot of time has passed, but I, so I think it's worth bringing up. So Cassian gets everyone on the ship to get away, but he doesn't go with them. And he's on Luthen's ship. He's on the Fondor when Luthen gets back to his ship. And Cassian tells Luthen to kill him or take him in. The last time Cassian was on that ship, the most important thing to Cassian was self-preservation. He said he would rather live than go up against the Empire. And he just wanted Luthen to drop him off wherever. He didn't want to go and fight. He didn't want to go to Aldani. So to see this now, to see this version of Cassian now, once again on that ship, sending his friends to freedom, I felt a little bit of like, he's there, his mom just died, he sent his friends away, he's got, he might feel like he's got nothing left to live for. But he's, he's made the sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice himself for his friend's safety. And that's the perfect cap. As great as all the other scenes we've talked about in this episode have been, that's the perfect cap to this first season. Seeing that version of Cassian come out be the last thing we see. It's just like we mentioned before, this is one of those little moments mm -hmm. that does so much. I mean, I kind of got the same thing when Cassian went in there. I was like, he's lost his dad. He lost his mom. He almost lost his friends in that battle, but he made all these selfless sacrifices and he got all the people he cared about to safety. So at this point, he's kind of done everything he needs to do. He's, I guess you could say in the, you know, vein of Star Wars, he's redeemed himself. Mm. It's all come full circle. And he's like, kill me or take me in. And part of me felt like, just like you said, if that was the end of it, he did everything that he needed to do for those people. Mentioning self-preservation, all he wanted to do was live before. And now he's taking a chance that he could die. But yeah. at least he knows all the things that he's done. And I think he recognizes how far he's come as well. Yeah. You can't not recognize that as a person because it's been a big change. I think he recognizes that as soon as he said in the previous episode, tell her she'd be proud of me when he's talking about Marva. And it's very much that I think, I think exactly what you're saying, he might feel fulfilled here. His friends are safe. He's willing to die. He's, he says, you know, kill me or take me in. The both parts of the sentence, kill me, I'm willing to make this sacrifice, or take me in, knowing that Marva and Nemec want him to fight, and that he has to fight for them. And for his friends. Yeah, Luthen gives him that little smile in response, and I was right there smiling back. Yep. I just thought, oh, this is this is so perfect. This is a perfect way to end this. He's taken that step forward. Yep. Half a second of happiness in this otherwise sweaty palmed edge of my seat. We finally got that hope. We finally got that hope that we'd been waiting for. We finally got that hoe. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Luthen's thinking when Cassian offers his services. <laughs> so that's the end of season one of Andor. Do you have a favorite episode or a favorite part or a favorite character? I already know what the answer to that one is. Surprise question time. 
Surprise, Krypton to Alderaan question. <laughs> um, you make this so hard for me. I'm sorry. Trying to find an answer is eating at me. <laughs> On top of loving Cassian Andor and the expansion of his story, you know I gotta give it up to Mon Mothma. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. It's the Mon Mothma meaty minute, Mon Mothma <laughs> hour. You know, that's my vibe. That's that's what I want more of. Let's get the Mon Mothma show spinoff. Disney loves spinoffs. That's a new thing. So. Hmm. So she has been there have been so many good characters in the show, but, you know, I have to give it to Genevieve O'Reilly. She's just blown me away with a character I didn't really care about at all before and am now obsessed with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is true. Something that we another thing that we touched upon way early that I completely forgot about was that we had no expectation for no understanding what it could possibly be in the character of Mon Mothma. And now I feel like we've been robbed of not having her for so long. Yeah, I would say up until that speech, I would not have said Marvel was my favorite character. But I think that post that speech. Marva is my favorite character. I, it was incredible. It, 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 it got the most out of me of anything that's happened in the show. So I have to give it up for that. So Marva and B2 and Bix and Cassian and Brasso. And uh, don't forget <laughs> my new girl, Jesse, the daughter of Ferrix. Oh, yeah. And we can't forget about Tim. Shout out to Tim. Pour who, one out for Tim. <laughs> Who was that again? Uh, that was a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Tim with two M's. Can I ask a follow up, a quick follow up question of do you have any expectations for season two or is there anything specific you'd like to see? So I'm going to echo this because it was a point I didn't think about until I read it. Molly from Star Wars Explained tweeted that she just wants to see Mon Mothma leave Coruscant. And mm. I was like, yeah, I want to see her leave Coruscant. And to add on that, I was like, We've had all this mention of Shandrilla. Kind of want to go there. I would love to see Shandrilla. I was going to say, I don't think we've ever seen it, have we? I mean, maybe in a comic or something, you would know. I don't remember seeing it in a comic, but it might. Hmm. I feel like maybe it was, but I can't remember. But then again, why would we have? Because Mon Mothma didn't have a ton of a story before this. So, yep. yeah, I kind of want to go to Shandrilla. And I want Bail Organa. Where was Bail Organa? Mm. Bring back my boy. And lastly, I want a Palpatine cameo. I didn't get one. I really thought we were going to get one this season. And it was fine without it. See, I thought that that's what uh, that's the thing that Disney wouldn't let Gilroy do. But the fuck thing makes much more sense. <laughs> the fuck thing. you know? <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even considered that. I would love to see Shandrilla. So maybe that's my thing too. But very similar to season one, I have very little expectations for season two. I just want more, you know? I just want more. And I'd love for it. Like, I saw that tweet from Molly mentioning seeing Mon Mothma get off of Coruscant. And I thought it would be really cool to tie it into Rebels to show that scene with her and Saw. Something like that would be cool. I'd love to see that. I guess that that's that's an expectation. Seeing her relationship with Saw. I was thinking of that, too, because we don't even know if they know each other right now, do we? No, no. Nope. So 
how do we get from them not knowing each other to him trying to essentially kill her in Rebels? Yes. So great. That's what we'd like to see. That's a wrap on Star Wars Andor and our I was going to say our coverage of your and my coverage of it for now. I'd like to return and do some more in-depth conversations about some of this stuff. We there's so much more we could say. There's so much more to these episodes. We skip around a lot, but I'd love to dedicate time to some more specific things. Scotty, would you like to once again tell people where to find you, how to listen to your stuff, how to watch your stuff? etc. So you can find me on OnlyFans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Hive at Scotty Holiday SW. And on OnlyFans at Meaty Mon Mothma. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> Making one right now. <laughs> Awesome. Yes, go check out Scotty's stuff. They've also been on the Wayseekers podcast recently, which is another great Star Wars podcast that everyone should check out. I guess that's it. I hate to say goodbye for the last time, Scotty, but thank you again so much for for doing all of these episodes. It's been a blast talking to you about Andor, and we'll have to come up with something to talk about to get you back on here between the two of us i'm sure we can find something to talk about <laughs> yeah yep well thank you so much joey it's been so fun covering Andor with you and you know if anything we'll talk again in 2024 with season two mm. yeah, i'll see you in 2024 <laughs> <laughs> all right all right thanks scotty bye